This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Monday. Daphna, how are you? I'm doing great. I literally just got back from the um, conference, the Cool Topics Conference in San mm-hmm. Diego, and we missed you, buddy. I know COVID's uh, COVID's been uh, wrecking my uh, family situation. <laughs> I, I was know, I was livid. I was so livid sorry. about not going. But what I can know you, do? you were really looking forward to it. I told the audience that you were hoping to see them, but yeah. alas, not this time. Um, but I had a lot of fun connecting people who are connecting with people who are listeners, um, people who follow us on Twitter. So that was really cool. Um, yeah. We love it when people come say hello. You know, um, it really it was it was uh, inspiring, invigorating. You know, mm-hmm. it was nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely had FOMO looking at the tweets and uh, <laughs> pictures sent on social media. Yeah, and the but, content was really good, you know. In fact, because as you know, I like to live tweet uh, stuff going on, but there was there was so much stuff going on, right. uh, so it was it was a great conference. Okay, so then let's um, not take too much time um, teasing what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. We're going into pulmonary. So this is the big one. Big, big topic, right? Big this topic. is the, the topic with the highest uh, percentage allocated on the boards. Right. So we're going to go through uh, the pulmonary section, follow along. I think I'm starting today and tomorrow. Um, and uh, yeah, I think... Um, I think we've mentioned on the on the main channel that we're um, we're we're very busy doing the preparing for the conference, and so uh, there was a little bit of a gap in the um, in the episodes that we released. Uh, this this uh, the last one I think was like the first week of February, but um, there's a lot of content coming to this podcast. We have a lot of uh-huh. um, uh, trainees who are going to join us, so this is um, there's a lot of stuff to look forward to, um, and yeah, I think. Um, I'm going to start everybody off today with uh, control of breathing. And the first step of understanding control of breathing is to understand a little bit about inspiration and expiration. So during inspiration, I often need to be reminded of this, but um, the chest wall and the diaphragm contract, right? Um, And it's contraction of the diaphragm that leads to an increase in um, making the intrapleural pressure negative, which eventually leads to airflow. Now, it is important for us to understand what Boyle's law is in that context. And Boyle's law actually um, addresses some of the, the relationship between pressure and volume of a gas. What Boyle's law states is that the pressure of a gas decreases as the volume in that space increases. Now, mathematically, that can be translated into um, P1V1, which means that like the pressure and the volume at time one is going to be equal to pressure 
P2V2, which is pressure at time two and volume at time two. Practically speaking, what that means is that if you're thinking of a gas in a container and you're thinking that the container has a relatively large volume, like a liter, and that the pressure in that one liter volume is 100 millimeters of mercury. Now, let's say you were to half the, to keep the same the same uh, content, the same um, the same uh, the same number of particles of that gas, right? And decrease the volume by half, making the volume maybe going from one to a half liter. Um, then automatically your pressure would double from 100 to 200. So it's it's an it's an important um, concept to understand. And it's also important to understand this as, for example, uh, in the context of breathing, the barometric air pressure, whenever that is greater than the alveolar pressure, then really air moves into the lung and these pressure gradients really become important in the context of uh, respiration. Now in, in, the, in the process of expiration, the respiratory muscles relax, the lung recoil pressure results in a positive alveolar pressure and the positive pressure difference between the alveoli and the airway opening um, results in gas leaving the lung. So then the, we are now on page 14 of the neonatology review books and, and, and then we get into some of these um, tricky um, respiratory reflexes. I say tricky because some of them are in opposition with one another, some of them have the same name. Um, the first one I'd like to talk about is the Herring-Brewer inflation, inflationary reflex, which basically means that lung overinflation should lead to an inspiration stop. And basically what this reflex is trying to do the, is trying to really prevent the lung from being overinflated. Now during lung expansion, the pulmonary stretch receptors located in the airway smooth muscle um, send an afferent neural input to the medulla in the brain, causing the vagal nerve to inhibit further inspiration and or promote expiration. And as a result, the inspiration duration is limit limited. Um, there is um, a, a, an increase of this reflex with gestational age, and it is strongest in the first few months after birth and is quite weak in adults. So it's important to remember this. So the Herring-Brewer inflationary reflex is the one that prevents overinflation, right? So um, by sending a message to the brain, to the medulla, and saying inspiration should stop. And the reason I'm clarifying all these things is because then there is the Herring-Brewer deflation reflex, which basically refers to what we sort of know as these cybrats. This reflex describes the increase in ventilatory rate associated with an abrupt deflation of the lung as, it is, as would happen, for example, with a uh, pneumothorax. This reflex also occurs with periodic spontaneous deep breaths, these deep sighs that help prevent atelectasis. And these sighs consist of slow, deep inspiration uh, followed by slow, deep expiration. Now, because of the infant's um, tendency, the infant's lungs tendency to recoil is greater than the outward recoil of a very compliant chest wall, this reflex may be important in helping ma actively maintain the infant's FRC, meaning that the chest uh, wall has a tendency to recoil on itself more than it has a, a tendency to expand. And so this reflex, the Herring Brewer deflation reflex may actually help actively maintain an infant's FRC. So the last reflex that we um, 
wanted to talk about is the paradoxical reflex of head. And that actually comes in opposition to the um, Herring-Brewer inflationary reflex. And basically, it the, the paradoxical reflex of head, and it's called paradoxical because it really paradoxically opposes the Herring-Brewer reflex, describes the paradoxical increase in diaphragmatic contraction during inflation instead of the expected inhibition of respiratory movement, as it was described a bit earlier in the inflationary reflex of the uh, Herring-Brewer. Now, this reflex is important during the first few breaths after delivery because of the very large inspiratory effort that is needed to inflate the fluid-filled lung. And so just if you've you've lost me a little bit here, if I've lost you a little bit here, the paradoxical reflex of head basically um, helps you do a crazy inspiration. Um, and, and that is why it is an important, an important uh, reflex that needs to be present early on after birth so that babies can take this very large uh, tidal volume when their lungs are filled with uh, fluid. Okay, so let's talk about controls of respiration. And if you look on page 15 of the books, you can see there's a very nice little diagram that is summarizing some of the uh, receptors and some of the um, variable stimuli that are affecting, uh, that these receptors are sensitive to. So the first thing that we're gonna talk about is the response to carbon dioxide changes. Now, changes in CO2 um, are, um, so the changes in CO2 are actually very nicely detected by central chemoreceptors located in the brain, specifically in the medulla. Now, these receptors are actually most sensitive to changes in acidity, like H plus ions. So these receptors uh, located in the brain are um, sense uh, changes in hydrogen ion concentration in the extracellular fluid. Uh, an increase in PaCO2 will lead to an increase in hydrogen ion and an increase in respiratory rate. And so this is how the central chemoreceptors located in the medulla responds to changes in the PC PaCO2. Changes in PaCO2 lead to changes in concentration of hydrogen ions, and these are what the central chemoreceptors are detecting. Now, um, if we're looking at the, the response to um, um, alveolar PaCO2, what we're noticing is that um, this ability to adjust minute ventilation is quite uh, well developed in infants born at term and sort of gets progressively blunted as a baby is born at 32 weeks gestation in babies that are born uh, who are suffering from apnea prematurity um, and in babies who are um, and then in babies who are uh, born prematurely but who are being treated with caffeine so so these babies will sort of end up being a little bit in between um, metabolic acidosis and alkalosis have strong influence on respiratory rate independent of PaCO2. Now, um, let's talk a little bit. So we've talked about the central chemoreceptors, so receptors to sort of chemical. Let's talk about mechanoreceptors, which are also um, important for control of respiration. And these are basically stretch receptors in the airway smooth muscle that respond to changes in tidal volume. 
and these are some of the of the of the receptors these 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 mechanoreceptors are the ones that we've talked about in some of these uh, respiratory reflexes just a minute ago so what about changes to um, vent response to changes in ventilation and um, response to um, oxygen changes so the response to O2 changes is mediated by chemoreceptors. However, unlike for, PAC, for PCO2, these chemoreceptors are not located centrally. They're located peripherally, specifically in the carotid bodies and in the aortic bodies. Um, if we're trying to um, understand these, um, these, these peripheral chemoreceptors located in two major vessels, um, they are, in, in this case, most sensitive to the changes in PAO2, PAO2, which is different from the central chemoreceptors, which we just talked about, where the PACO2 then leads to a change in H plus ions that then are being sensed. In this case, it's really the PAO2. And really, these uh, chemoreceptors then have uh, a positive effect on the brainstem respiratory centers that lead to an effect on the respiratory muscles, to alveolar ventilation, to tidal volume, and so on and so forth. Um, let's see, in terms of, um, in terms of the last point that we uh, wanted to discuss today, um, we are now on page 16, it's um, the topic of apnea, right? Apnea of prematurity or apnea in general. Now, the definition of apnea, and that's something that I think um, can be easily testable, is really the absence of airflow for 20 seconds or more. There are three types of apnea. They could be central, obstructive, or mixed. Central apnea means that there's uh, no airflow because there's just no respiratory effort. Obstructive meaning that there's no airflow, but you do have some respiratory effort. And then you can have mixed apnea, which often begins as central apnea with no respiratory effort, no airflow, and later becomes obstructive. Um, there's a lot of different etiologies that could be responsible for apnea. Um, the most common one is uh, ap that we are familiar with is apnea of prematurity, which typically starts after 24 hours of age. Other entities such as infection, metabolic abnormalities, arrhythmia, um, hypoxemia, anemia, hypo or hyperthermia, uh, maternal medications, I mean, that's something that we've all sort of noticed with um, um, mothers who are being given magnesium, who then uh, deliver infants who have very poor respiratory effort. Uh, infant medications, prostaglandin is a very, very common one in cardiac babies, right? There's always this fear that when we do start prostaglandin, uh, how quickly is it going to be until uh, we may need to intubate the baby? And um, upper airway malformation leading to increased secretions or anatomical blockage. And this really uh, makes us think of tracheoesophageal fistula, Pierre-Robin syndrome, um, central nervous system disorders such as an IVH, uh, any form of seizures. Um, and yeah, so the last thing that uh, was interested in the context of etiologies is, is um, reflux, right? And so the, the authors here, uh, Dr. Brodsky and Martin, made a point to mention this, which I think is interesting, that um, acid gastroesophageal reflux has not been found to induce apnea. And that's something that I also think could very well be testable. So how do you diagnose it? Uh, obviously, you could 
uh, try to clinically try to look at the baby's breathing, but more specifically, you could use a pneumogram, which uh, combine with EEG and a pH probe. You can do an impedance monitor, which basically monitor changes in the chest dimension. Um, now, this will detect only central apnea because obstructive apnea still moves the chest wall, as we've said. You could use um, a thermistor, which register air current and detects both obstructive and central apnea. You could try to prevent uh, apnea by maintaining a normal hematocrit, maintaining uh, stable electrolytes and PaO2, and try to avoid uh, overt neck flexion and abdominal distension. We're going to close up today by talking about how do we manage apnea prematurity, and the treatment of choice is obviously methyl xanthines. And methyl xanthines is a category of medication that includes caffeine, which we all very familiar with, theophylline, which was the pre the, the 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 preceding medication that we used before caffeine really became main mainstream uh, we have a nice series of episodes on caffeine for apnea prematurity uh, in our library if you are uh, subscribed and listening to the podcast you can always uh, check this out uh, we also can treat with uh, just uh, maximizing and optimizing ventilation using continuous positive airway pressure um, non-invasive or invasive positive pressure ventilation as we said, just possible intubation if things are severe, and obviously really trying to identify the underlying etiologies and trying to address them. Okay, this is all I have for today. Let's uh, let's do a question. All right, I'll ask you a question. Hold on, pulmonary, there it is. On caffeine. Right. Which question is it? 27, 37, 20, hold on, 37. <laughs> all right, go right ahead. Okay. Okay. This is pulmonary question 37. Uh, an infant born at 26 weeks gestation is started on caffeine for apnea of prematurity. Which of the following statements is false about apnea of prematurity? A, bradycardia during apnea might be related to hypoxic stimulation of carotid body chemoreceptors, particularly in the absence of lung expansion. B, in response to relative hyperoxia after birth, carotid body oxygen chemoreceptors are silenced. C, premature infants have decreased central chemosensitivity demonstrated by a decreased ventilatory response to carbon dioxide. D, stimulation of the laryngeal mucosa causes apnea as the result of an exaggerated excitatory reflex. Or E, upregulation of inhibitory neurotransmitters including GABA and adenosine, may contribute to apnea of prematurity. I have a feeling we did this question already. We have at some point in time reviewed I remember, this question, I remember, but it's a really good question. It's a really good question. I remember D being because the answer it, somehow. Because some there are some tricks uh, to the way the questions. Are you saying D? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I remember, I remember that the, 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 the stimulation of the laryngeal mucosa um, causing apnea because of the exaggerated excitatory reflex was wrong is the incorrect statement. Um, but you'll, you'll tell That's us, right. I guess. That's right. So there are so many reasons why babies have apnea prematurity, right? Which you've, t you've talked about to us about how that relates to, um, control of breathing. But D is, uh, the false answer because it said stimulation of the laryngeal mucosa causes apnea as a result of an exaggerated excitatory it, reflex which if you just read it kind of you could say oh sure that makes sense but if you have an ex it's an excitatory inhibitory reflex 
So that's what causes apnea. I remember like a, that. a false negative. Yeah. Yeah. So as a reminder, apnea prematurity is defined as the cessation of breathing for greater than 15 seconds is typically accompanied by bradycardia and or desaturation. Periodic breathing, on the hand, other hand, is defined as three pauses with more than three seconds between over a 20-second period. Apnea is traditionally classified into three categories, central, obstructive, or mixed. Stimulation of the laryngeal mucosa either chemically or mechanically causes inhibition of breathing and apnea and apnea in humans and animals. This reflex uh, induced apnea is mediated by the superior laryngeal nerve. And again, premature infants have an exaggerated inhibitory reflex that results yeah. in apnea. And that's what that's what that's what um, I remember. That like, there's no reason to stimulate uh, to to generate apnea with an excitatory reflex, right? That sort of doesn't make too much sense, even at face right. value. If you if it was <laughs> if it was excitatory, then you'd have increased respiration. Exactly. Increased exactly. Respiration. Yeah. Okay. All right, Daphne. Okay. This is uh, this is good. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.